Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. My name is Andrew Harris, and he just put his glasses on, folks, so you know this is serious. It's going to get real. Mr. Andrew Decker. Hello, Mr. Harris. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. We just had court. You and I uh, both got our jobs done. Now yeah. we're here in the office doing a recording. It was a trial call, and either one of us may be in trial next week. No, huh? I got mine working. Yours out. done? Yeah. So I've, I've been told I'll, I'll get a phone call or a text message later, so we'll see. That'd be nice. Um, Theft from Home Depot. That that. That gets yeah, exciting. A misdemeanor theft wrapped up, wrapped up to a to a state jail felony, wrapped up <laughs> to a second degree felony. So again, I've 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 seen a pair of tennis shoes go for like fifteen. Gosh, man! I actually yeah, had a pretty... client who had done seven for stealing a case of water. Gosh, I this and is... did all seven. He said he did six and a half of the seven. You know, and it's. They got restitution, like the guy didn't get away. Like he, they, he, they got their stuff back. Um, and so, at what point does this just become like a debtor's prison? You know, I mean, it, it's it just is. Well, it's extremely uh, sad in this particular individual's case. Well, a case of water, you, definitely sad. So anyway, it, it. Yeah, mine was mine was some kind of like hand tool. Sorry, I just <laughs> threw my phone across the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it does it does become problematic. But we also don't want people stealing from everybody in town. That is true. Certainly true. I don't like, I don't like, you know, I don't like thieves. Um, it's just, it's just real sad in this situation. Like yeah. it's, it's a misdemeanor and it's a misdemeanor for a reason. And just because of history, are we now fighting over decades of right. somebody's life? Which is what we do a lot. Right. We, we end up fighting big, we end up fighting big battles over small things. And sometimes we are fighting other states battles in a way. Yeah, we are. We are. Right. We're going to talk about uh, extraditions. Some extradition stuff today, and and actually, we were having a conversation prior to recording, and you had mentioned that you even have fought some out of state subpoenas. I've done two out of state subpoenas, um, where somebody here, uh, one in Tarrant County, one in Parker County, uh, were required to appear in other states on a case. Yeah, um, we're not going to get like into the weeds on those issues, but I just thought it was fascinating. Just can you briefly tell us like what? So what basically, there? basically the subpoena, and because I was involved, it was from the defense, um, was sent to Texas, sent, and they serve the person here, and the person here then gets an attorney to to whether say whether or not they're willing to go to. One of them was in California, um, and. He was basically they can have a hearing as to whether or not they're material to the case. Um, and then they also get admonished that not only are you material, but you also receive stipend and travel, et cetera. Um, you know, because if you get a subpoena to show up in, in Parker County or Tarrant County or Erath, you know, somewhere close, you're not going to get pay. You, you yeah. show up, right? right. Um, but if you're showing up out of state, the the receiving state has to pay for your reasonable travel, uh, accommodations, a stipend for food, um, which then makes it a little bit easier if you're making you know fifteen dollars an hour to go. Okay, well I'm going to have to be out of town for two days. Well, at least I'm not having to pay for it out of my own pocket. Right. Yeah. It doesn't make it necessarily fun to go testify in a murder, but that's that's what both these were. Yeah. No. No first class tickets. I know that you prefer well, that. It's the only way you fly. It's so. the only way I fly. <laughs> I'm but, like John Madden. I, I have my own bus. It's yeah, well, yeah, right. Um, uh, so, but we are going to discuss the Uniform Criminal Extradition Act. Can be found 
Article 51.13 in the Code of Criminal Procedure kind of lays out everything that you would need to know when handling an extradition. Yeah. Now, you know, you've handled some of these. I've not handled. I've had clients who have been extradited back to Texas from somewhere. Right. Um, but we're really talking about leaving the state of Texas to be, uh, you know, taken to a different state. The procedure that goes through that. Uh, and again, y'all, this, you know, um, the the code says what it says. So look it up. If you do have this instance, this is not going to be like, you know, in every single situation, this is what's going to happen. This is kind of just a brief overview. Right. So it. when I, when we say read the code, this is one of those where truly, you know, um, the first one of these I helped on was like Christmas, New Year's, geez, seven years ago. I was still a clerk. Right. Um, and I read this article several times and to figure out exactly what was supposed to happen and exactly how we can make it work. Went and visited with a person. They were like, I'm not going back to Georgia. Um, and that's where they were from. And so we were preparing to fight it. And then we talked to him again. We realized we could get anyway, when we ended up in the hearing, because it was something that didn't happen very often out of out of Johnson County, right? So it was a smaller county in the area. The prosecutor hadn't done one. The lead counsel, again, I was assistant counsel, hadn't done one, and the judge hadn't done one. So by having read the articles like three or four times when a question came up, I hadn't said anything. I'd been, you know, I'm just doing my job, basically hadn't, you know, kind of facilitating things. The question came up and I said, well, and, and was able to point line and verse and the whole room went, oh, I guess we can do that. <laughs> I um, like a, well, in the code, it says the code says <laughs> so read it. This is one of those where reading it and knowing what it says, because it is the same. This is a uniform code. This is the same across, I think, actually, like only 48 or 49 states. There's some, I think there's one or two of them that didn't accept it whatever reason so it's slightly different right can't tell you which one it is but basically this is one of those where everywhere in the united states this is the way it's going to work um they're all going to be the same so if you get on the phone with the with the attorney in the other state they're looking at the same thing it's going to obviously be numbered differently right uh but it's the same it's the exact same wording yeah good uh so specifically i mean i guess you know how do these start um because i know you know this is one state asking for the transport of a prisoner in another state. And so to me, I guess, without having read the code in depth, you know, obviously the two executives from each state would have to get involved, right? Sure. So okay. let's give a scenario of of um, a couple where I've had them come in to Texas. Okay. So the so the uh, uh, alleged defendant is in custody in another state, and they're coming into they're the state coming of Texas. right. They're okay. they're being charged here in the great state of Texas. Great. Um, one of them com- committed an assault, family violence, repeat offender status uh, here in the state of Texas, and then moved to Florida. And interestingly, uh, the indictment. He didn't get indicted until after he was in custody, which is often, you know, very true, was after the three years. So immediately, what do you do? You file a motion to quash. Right. It's a statute of limitations. Statute of limitations. But if the person flees the jurisdiction during the investigation or following uh, any information that would let them, that would highlight to them that they are, there may be an investigation coming, 
they can toll this toll the time that they were in out of the other right. they were out of state. Yes. Um. So we we filed it. We ended up getting a good enough deal. We didn't fight the mo- fight that motion. Um. But they they could have proved he was in Florida. Basically, they they had proof that he, where he worked because the woman who assaulted who he assaulted who then followed into Florida and lived with him said, well, he worked at this place for six months. They're able to call and find out, and we were only over by about thirty days. So, gotcha. But they were able to bring him back, and that's what we think about usually is that we someone's committed a crime here, and they fled to somewhere else, basically trying to be a fugitive from justice. They are fleeing the jurisdiction, right? Um, why? Because you can't get me here. Um, uh, and and back in before the internet and before teletype and telephone, you really could move from one state to another, get a you know basically get a new identity and almost completely hide from justice by moving from Texas to Tennessee or yeah. Tennessee to California. Um, yeah. Whitey Bulger did it, uh, you know, for decades. Right. Right. It wasn't that difficult. It's obviously harder now just because of. Um, yeah. Just the interconnectedness technology and social media. It, well, and um if if you give them your name and date of birth and it doesn't come up to you and a social security number, those things track and they, they, right. Th- they're hitting federal databases. It's not just, well, what can we see here in the County record anymore? Yeah. Um, so, so one of them was truly just the guy committed an offense here left and that was very easily brought back. Another one of mine had never set foot in the state of Texas and was brought here under extradition where I was appointed as attorney, his receiving attorney here on a case that was revenge porn. Um, and the reason they were able to bring him from the DC area to Texas was that the offended party, the harm was here, which under Texas law gives us jurisdiction. Jurisdiction. Hmm. Um, and I argued, I, I filed a motion to quash and, you know, and actually argued before the court that that shouldn't stand up because he had never been here. How could he know and be amenable to the Texas law? You know, he hadn't. Right. That that didn't fly. Um, anyway, uh, so. So that's when you that's when uh, those situations where they're coming in to the state of Texas. Um what what I mean, you have you have fought some extradition where they're actually leaving the state of Texas right. to another. Right. I've actually had a I've actually had a few of those as well. So once they're here, the extradition really is is technical. Um, if they're coming from somewhere else, uh, you might be ar- arguing statute of limitations or uh, could they really have committed the offense here if they weren't in this state? Once but, they get here from the whatever their original state, got right. you. Okay. I've had two where they were uh, arrested here under warrant, one for Georgia, one for uh, uh, a Midwest state. And this case is ongoing, so I may le- I may may or may not actually right. identify that one. Uh, I'll tell you, it's Indiana. That that's not going to narrow it down too much. Um, the one from Georgia uh, originally wanted to fight it. Said, "Hey, I didn't commit a crime. We got a little information." Well. She had been here, been in custody five or six days, maybe 10 days when we were before a judge. Um, just like anybody else, they have to be a, they have to be a made aware of their rights. So they have to be arraigned. Uh, they have to be appointed an attorney if they don't have one. She actually hired an attorney. 
I was helping him. Um, he was out of town when it started. Uh, but we found, because normally there's a hold put on by the other state, right? And the reason is, think about this, if I've escaped from Tennessee to Texas to avoid the long arm of the law and I bond out, I might disappear to New Mexico, Colorado, New York, somewhere, Mexico, yeah. right? I mean, uh, it would be reasonable to think this person is truly trying to to flee to be a fugitive. Um, so it's rare for them to, to be able to get a bond, to be able to post a bond or bail. Um, in this situation, we were able to get a hold of the court in Georgia and actually get a bond set. They had to, and we had this, this poor lady had a stack of papers. She had her bond. She had a bondsman here. She had a, in Johnson County, she had a bondsman in Georgia. She had the order of the court from Georgia and the release signed by the judge here in Johnson County. She still, while driving through Louisiana, because she, she drove here. Right. She was staying with, with family, got arrested. Um, Basically, she said, I'll go back. She goes, I don't want to leave my car. I don't want to have to go back in custody. That can take take days, weeks. Uh, it takes a long time. Um, so she was given like 48 or 72 hours to appear before the court in Georgia. Um, and she still got pulled over and basically had to appear before a magistrate in Louisiana because the license plate hadn't fully cleared. You know, it was still yeah. kind of this weird, you know, takes time to clear. Uh, and she showed all these papers and apparently the magistrate in Louisiana called Georgia and Texas trying to find a judge who could say, yeah, I really did sign that. You please <laughs> let her go. Um, uh, but apparently she eventually got back to Georgia. Uh, the devil went down to Georgia, if you will. Dang. Um, well, good for her. Yeah. And so I imagine you were working with a Georgia attorney, her attorney in Georgia to coordinate all of that. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. And so that was one where, where we worked it out in a way that was amenable to everyone. Um, but if you don't, and we, and we did it fairly quickly. If you don't waive extradition, the governor of the other state sends a warrant or their office, and it actually says that uh, if you read uh, 51.13.1, the definitions, you'll see it says, appearing in Article 1, the term governor includes any person performing the functions of governor by the authority of the laws of this state. So, Basically, it says the governor's warrant, but it's really their office. Right. Well, um, the governor of of Indiana, this this person had not waived, has not waived, did not waive, then sends a warrant to the governor to Greg Abbott's office, and Greg Abbott's office then looks at it and sends it to whatever jurisdiction it, this person's being held in. Yeah. Um, and so I've never gotten to the point where the governor's warrant was needed. It is way more than a probable cause affidavit. What do you mean by that? It was like 50 pages. Oh, okay. Okay. So not just a brief restatement of like the general facts. No, it, it included like an offense report, uh, some affidavits, uh, copies of text messages, um, interviews with uh, other people, notes from the postal inspector, um, it was it was pretty thorough, and it included uh, the uh, 
penal code from Indiana for the various crimes that this woman was alleged of uh, committing. Um, so it it gave it gave us well it gave the governor here enough to say, yeah, if if she wants to fight it, here it is. Um, I then met with her. We then set up. I, I said, look, you know, this is what you can do, what you can't do. Um, and she wanted to try to fight it here. Yeah, fight right? extradition. The problem is, again, it's basically probable cause. Right. And so I'm just looking at Section 3 of the Uniform Criminal Extradition Act where it says the form of the demand. And it includes like, hey, not only can you just have this warrant, but it must be supported, um, uh, accompanied by a copy of an indictment um, or the information supported by an affidavit, a copy um, of an affidavit for a magistrate. I mean, it goes through these things that are required to be attached with just a warrant. And so kind of what you were saying, like, well, it makes sense that it was a pretty thick packet of paper. Right. Because it, it can't it, just be, you know, here's a warrant for your arrest kind of deal. Right. Yeah. No, that's enough to get you arrested. The other interesting thing is, is that um, you have like 90 days for that governor's warrant to come in. Yeah. Um, because part of it is, again, let's think back before right. there was internet and, yeah. you know, uh, had to be delivered by horse. And, well, and... <laughs> even if it's being delivered by teletype, you know, let's just only go back to the 70s. By teletype, um, that becomes slow and tedious and then getting it here and so forth. So you actually have a, a pretty long amount of time to get that governor's warrant here and to be to be fought. Um, uh, so this most recent lady, it was about 40, 45 days before the governor warrant appeared on my desk. Um, and it was, it was enough that I printed it out, put it in a trial notebook and read through it. I mean, I sat down like I was preparing for trial because in my mind, I was preparing for an extradition hearing. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, pretty important part of the uh, criminal case, right? Right. Right. It, and it's hard here. Here, here's the hard part. We we've had, we've all had clients that want to try to fight. Um, they want to fight their case before they get to a judge or a jury oh yeah right happens a lot and i don't blame them they want to get it done this this person wanted to fight their case here they really wanted to fight it in that extradition hearing and so part a lot of what i did was just sitting down and going that's not what this extradition hearing is about this is about is there enough evidence to arrest you and if there is then to move you yeah. You know, so it really is probable cause. It may be a little higher than that. Um, the governor here can actually order an investigation of the case. Um, if if they're not convinced, the governor the governor here has several options. Right. The governor here can reject a warrant. They can independently investigate the case, or they can send it to you know to the county in which the person's being held and that you can actually fight it out there. That's what she kind of wanted to do. But as I looked at it um, and I talked to her, I said, look, you may not have done this big one. I, I, I don't know that they've I've got enough here to know whether you did it or not. Yeah. But from what it looks like, there's enough for them to be able to move you and you're going to need counsel and probably going to need an investigator and someone to do forensics. And they're not going to give us that on an extradition hearing. So my advice was, you don't, 
do, fighting this, we're going to end up spending another month or so prepping up for a hearing before you end up uh, probably being moved anyway. And that's right. just slowing down your process to justice. Some people are perfectly happy to do that. Some people are, and yeah. they have that right. So again, much like an arraignment, you actually have to be admonished. Oh, yeah. Right? I, I would imagine. So you get arraigned, and then you get admonished before you have a, you know, if you're going to have a hearing or you want to try to fight it, of, you know, this is what's happening, this is what you, you have a right to an attorney, you have a right to file a writ of habeas corpus, it's not a, it's not a motion, it's not, it's a, it's actually a writ. Um, so were you appointed on with these extradition hearings that you performed or were you hired? I was appointed on the most recent one. I was, we were hired on the first one. Understood. Okay. So I've done both. Um, the advantage of being hired is that this person hired, we got hired like the day uh, after and we were well ahead of the game. Right. This one, she's been arrested. She's been in custody a few days before she really kind of says, Hey, I need an attorney. And it just takes a while. Yeah. Um, but you have a right uh, to, um, to 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 fight that extradition. You also, the state doesn't have to extradite you if you have something pending here, which is often you can imagine someone who's actually a fugitive. Um, you know, let's take for example that they committed uh, robbery in Tennessee, and then maybe. Uh, theft in Arkansas, and now they're in Texas. And part of the reason they get picked up is because they're, you know, committed another robbery. Right. Um, you know that somebody who's that does not seem far fetched. Right. Right. Yes. So you don't have to be extradited to Arkansas or Tennessee until your case here. Why? Because Texas can say we're not releasing you. Now. They don't have to. You don't. You won't have a bail or a bond because Arkansas and Tennessee have a hold on you, right? So while you're awaiting trial here, fighting your case here, then you go. They're just going to back you up to Arkansas and then back you up to Tennessee. You could end up doing a whole lot of time waiting to get all that stuff cleared up because we know a felony here in Texas is going to take a year or more. Oh, for sure. Yeah, unless you just do a really quick plea, which if it's something that serious, you know, right? Not and, not and you've got multiple happen. states, right? <laughs> Right. You might be willing to fight them. Um, so uh, the person it will be uh, arrested on the governor's warrant. Uh, they they have to um, they have to make them aware of their rights. They have to uh, they actually have to tell them you have a right to file a writ to fight extradition. Um, they cannot just move you. Uh, without warning you, right. and either you waive extradition or you end up ha having to file. Um, so uh, either way, you know, potentially if you fought it, maybe the judge doesn't find that there's probable cause and and denies the extradition. Um, but but if you waive it or he finds, I mean, like you have to have a court order for for whatever authority to move your person to a different state. Yes. Yeah. Um, and. The extradition hearing is basically going to be, here's the packet. Um, is it enough to withstand a probable cause hearing? And like I said, the ones I've seen are are meatier than any yeah. probable cause affidavit I've seen uh, for an arrest here. Well, why? Because we're moving someone 
sometimes across multiple states in custody. Um, and from what I understand from people that have been moved in custody, you don't get on a, you don't get put in the back of a, of a squad car here and driven to Indiana. You get put in a transport that's going to then kind of meander along picking people up and dropping people off. And the driver can only drive eight hours a day. So they make arrangements. Yeah. So like they'll drive from here to Oklahoma city, put you in custody in Oklahoma, check you into the County jail in Oklahoma city at yeah. 4 PM and then come back at 7 AM, check you out, keep driving. Right. Yeah, they- and, and, and if we know anything, you know, again, I've thank God I've never been taken into custody. I, I don't want to go through that search multiple times. Oh no. You know, just that alone's enough for me to agree to like that lady. I'll be there in 72 hours. Just let me get to Monday morning. There's there. um, the last guy, the last client I had here in Texas, he waived extradition. The county sent a transport officer there, picked him up, and they actually flew back. They flew on, nice. they flew commercial back. So it was kind of just a one way, one way trip for them. Um, and I was, you know, I was thinking like, man, I'm, you know, as a passenger on that flight, would that have concerned me? And I was actually talking with a transport officer and he's like, there's no way they could have told, they could have seen or told, like, we keep him pretty well covered, uh, you know, at least his hands or shackles or something. So you can't really see, um, you know, safety is not a concern. They, they wear their sidearms, but they're, you know, t- obviously TSA is aware and the, 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 uh, crew is aware and all that. So Kind of interesting. I didn't know. I I thought that he would have been on a van driving back, but uh, no, they actually flew him. Well, yeah, fancy. Your I guy know, was I guess. fancy. Maybe, yeah. Or they realized it probably didn't cost much more than doing this whole transport. Well, I uh, the the transport officer did tell me that he kind of got hit by the uh, the the Southwest cancellation. So they're originally supposed to fly out at eight a.m. They finally flew out at two p.m. So you know, hey, at least he caught a flight. My guy's back in town and. Uh, we're working through uh, his uh, his case now. That's interesting. That's yeah. that's wild. Well, and they flew Southwest. I mean, you know, right. So you know, you get you get what you pay for. You, you got peanuts and a coke. I love Southwest. Southwest. If you're out there, you want to sponsor the the criminal defense podcast. We'll kick, we'll, defense kick podcast. Te- we'll kick Tesla we love to you the guys. curb. We love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, so, so yeah. So this is just sorry to cut you off, but this is. You know, I've never done one. You were talking about one recently, and I, I've had some where they're being extradited into Texas. Um, and so I just thought it was interesting. Like, this is one of those collateral issues that we always hear about with criminal defense matters. But uh, not having done one personally, um, you know, it's nice to know, like, hey, it's not just case law, you know, that you have to read to get all these different rules. It's it's actually uh, a uniform act in the Code of Criminal Procedure. So all of you defenders out there with questions, uh, you know, we're looking again at uh, 51.13 of the Code of Criminal Procedure has all of the answers um, for you if you are doing this for the first time. Um, and then also, you know, contact Andrew. He's done a couple of these. Uh, and we'll we'll get you some we'll get you some answer, answers right. But basically, I'm gonna say, did did you read fifty one fifty one thirteen? And 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 ladies and gentlemen, this is not this is not a short section. This is in 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 the code book. It is um, it, it's seven pages, and it is thick 
and everything is lined out again. It's something that every state has minus one or two, I think. Um, uh, but the state can't waive on your behalf. You, that your client has to either waive or have a hearing. Um, and if they, and, and they're, if you don't waive, you end up having to follow, follow rid of habeas, um, at which then triggers the hearing. Right. So the state can't say like, uh, well, yeah, we're going to dismiss this. We really don't want to do it. Like that's not, they don't have that right. It's, it's because another state is involved. Right. So, so they're either, you're either going to get a waiver or there's going to be a hearing. Right. Now the state could waive it if the governor right. upon receiving it says no. Yeah. The governor, I guess, could withdraw the warrant. Right. Basically governor to governor. One of them says, uh, this this doesn't pass mustard here in the state of Texas. You're not taking my guy for that, right? Or my girl. Um, ironically, both of them that I've represented have been females. Well, that is uh, that is interesting. Yeah, huh? I wonder. I wonder if there's data out there on how many extradition warrants Governor Abbott has rejected from other states. I I you, you that's above my pay grade. Something tells me. I bet there's numbers out there. If you know that that specific fact, or if you're just a bookworm and want to want to do some research for us, figure that out. And we'll have you on the podcast. Yeah, we'll let you talk about. Yeah, it. absolutely. Because it would be a little interesting factoid. Yeah. I'm guessing it's very low, if ever. Right. I mean, why? Part of it is the last thing you want to do, one governor to another, is to go. No, we're not going to let your jurisdiction seek justice. Right. Because you know. Um. Unless it truly just doesn't look real on its face. I mean, they're going to want somebody from that state anyway. So, you know, why would you, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. Don't bite the hand that feeds you kind of do. That, that's exactly right. The, 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 the professional courtesy, one governor to another. And, and that's, I don't care if it's a Democrat or a Republican on the other end. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, you're right. going to go, well, eventually I'm going to need someone to come home from South Dakota. I'm not going to piss them off. Yeah. I would, I would think not on this, this, this isn't, this isn't worth tradition. Yeah. I, I would, I would. I would not think that politics like would get in the way no. of it. Well, and again, it says someone who, who in the office of the governor with the authority of the law of the state. Yeah. Yeah. It's somebody. It may be some like attorney general or, uh, you know, in the AG's office or, or maybe even just a staffer at right. the governor's office. Right. I say just, if you're listening and you do this for the governor's office, please let us know. We let would, us love, know. I would love to be on that conversation. Yeah. Um, but it, they do happen. Um, and again, I've had two people come in, you know, my clients were brought to Texas for, right. for cases. One of them had never been in the state. One of them committed the offense here in, in the state. Like that's where it was of the two extraditions that I've had. One of them, the one in Georgia committed the offense, uh, allegedly the, the alleged <laughs> offense, right. uh, was in Georgia and she went back very amenably. The one to Indiana had not been either has never been to Indiana or had not been to Indiana at the time, any time during the alleged offense. Again, it's, uh, um, you know, when you start doing stuff like wire fraud, uh, it, it really becomes that can be anywhere. Where was the harm? Um, or postal fraud, you know, right. where was the harm? Uh, internet crimes, postal fraud, uh, are, are, our crimes are now now have a much longer reach 
when I can post something on the internet and it cause harm. Right. Well beyond, not, well beyond my visible sight. Right. And if it's, if it's something like you had, which is revenge porn, that's not, not having anything to do with children, then it, you know, feds would not likely get involved. And that's why it would be a state case at the, right. you know, yeah, there is no the, federal revenge porn, statute. you know, wherever the complainant uh, resides, right. Uh, wherever they say the harm happened. Right. Um, well, that's interesting. So we will, I, I, I'm thinking now that we're going to have to come back and have an episode on these out-of-state warrants, um, which, you know, only for felony cases, right? And um, because they have to be, you know, they have to be, what, perfected here, kind of like perfecting a judgment. You have to get it issued from a local uh, court and served and all that kind of stuff. So it's a sounds like a complicated procedure. Oh, for like having... Uh, like you said, you had you represented somebody um, trying to fight a subpoena to an out-of-state felony case. Right. So you had to have a, a hearing here right. um, on that in Texas. Not a warrant, an out-of-state subpoena. Subpoena. What did I say? Warrant? You said warrant, yeah. I, I, was like, to, I thought that's what we just did. Well, these extradition, man, when we talk about extradition hearings, like I've never done one, so I feel very dumb during this episode. <laughs> The fact, so, the, the fact that I've done, I've done, I've done several, um, and I've done. So part of the reason I did the subpoenas is I'd done one, and and there was a question, and I was like, "Oh, I just did one in another state or in another county," and they were like, "Oh, well, you're it." Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, and once you've done something like this, you, you sure, yeah, they're so rare that you end up doing multiple of them and kind of becoming an expert because. You're no, the guy. Yeah. You've done one or two. You know, I, I'm sure our defenders can kind of uh, relate to this notion of like, hey, I'm I'm getting good at, you know, felonies and misdemeanors. I'm not going to take anything that I just don't know because I'm so busy with all this other stuff. So, you know, if you do a couple of these things that are just kind of a little bit more rare, um, although, you know, extraditions do happen quite a bit, but, you know, a little bit more rare, we don't always see every day. You can kind of, you know, carve a niche there and just add another revenue stream right. to your firm. Yeah. If so. I mean it's not going to like buy you a porch but you know every little bit helps. Well it, it probably paid for my Kirkland sparkling water. Oh yeah, and the office thanks you for that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that that's you know we we've downgraded. We used to drink Topo Chicos yeah. this show. Now we're, now we're to Kirkland sparkling hey man, water. Inflation hits us all, you know. <laughs> Seriously, they've gone up even at, even at Costco like a dollar 18 a it's bottle. Crazy. I'm like I can't afford to give you that. That's ridiculous, man. Uh, so it's so, so ridiculous, but you know, Hey, new year, maybe things will start changing. Economy may be improving. Who knows? Yeah. Don't, don't commit crimes in other States and have to be extradited. I think that's the point here, right? That is the point. Yeah. Um, well, what do you think? Any other, uh, anything else for our listeners on extradition? Uh, again, don't, don't commit crimes in other States. Don't commit crimes and just look at 5113 code of criminal procedure. There's your free CLE of the day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so add that uh, behind 42A, the Code of Criminal Procedure, and you'll be sitting pretty. Right. But don't read don't read 5113 until you need it. Unlike 42A, which you sure. need yes. all the time. Correct. So, uh, well, Mr. Harith, where can they find us? I think they can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Although, um, it's like one of those things, like you know when. Uh, when I tell my sister that I'm seeing somebody, she thinks it's fake until they actually meet her. Right. So, um, so we are, we are on Twitter. We have gotten a number of guests and topics from Twitter. We do have a Facebook group, Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. Just search for us there. We are on the web at texascrimdefense.com. You can contact both Andrew Decker and myself personally. 
via email there, which, you know, comes to us directly. So, right. Hey, yeah. so if you, if we are at 28 followers on Twitter, oh my gosh, that may be more, more than we have listeners. This is <laughs> all of our listeners are now following us on Twitter. Fantastic. Uh, we, we're at a and a T X crim def, uh, on Twitter and we have 28 followers. Um, it's amazing. Hey, Tell a loved one about us. Hey, let if let you that can't be your member. Let, let that Twitter handle. Then something's wrong with you, man. It's just super. It's, it easy just rolls off remember. the tongue. I have to look it up every time. <laughs> Tell a loved one about it. And your New Year's you your yep. Your New Year's resolution could be to tell a friend about Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Certainly would help us out. Hey, y'all. But seriously, keep emailing us those topics. Keep emailing us. Um, you know, your, your guest ideas. Um, we would love to interview you and talk about, uh, you know, whatever issue you uh, feel is important. And we will see you on the next episode.